1 Samuel chapter 17. Of course, this is a well-known story, but it is a story with, that is a historical account of a real battle that took place many centuries ago. This story has a villain by the name of Goliath. Everybody in here from our little ones on up could tell us that name, couldn't they? This story has a villain, and your story also has a villain in the same way. One who desires to destroy you, your family, and your faith. But this story also has a hero. His name is David, and he is the most unlikely hero at this time in his life. No one except God saw the potential in this young man. Now, I want to say something very important. God sees the potential in you as well. He has not missed it. You can't hide it from him. And while you may struggle to see it and others may struggle to see it because you may be hiding or concealing it, God sees the potential of your life and how to use it. No matter where you are, no matter your circumstances, there is nothing too big for God to handle. I want to say something. I'm going to read part of the text this morning, but kind of get you thinking on our message of the day. What did young David and General Patton have in common? Well, maybe a number of things, but at least one. Both of them believed that it was best, the best way to win a war was to have the other guy die for his country. And David certainly believed that. You know, Memorial Day is a a time that reminds us of war, and as Christians, we can use that reminder. We can use it as Christians, I say specifically, not because of some religious war like the Crusades were, nothing like that, but there is a war far more real and far more dangerous with far greater consequences that we're supposed to be a part of today. If you are a Christian, you are to be part of this conflict. You know, what could be worse than dying? Well, dying without Christ, that is certainly true. And there are millions without Christ headed straight toward judgment and hell that are walking around us each and every day. And yet this battle that we're called to, many are sitting on the sidelines like David's brothers, King Saul, and they're not engaged in the battle that God has called us to. It's a battle that's not just an offensive one, though, to win the hearts of people to Christ but it's also a defensive battle. We're called into the fight daily to defend our own testimony and to defend our own character and our own sanctity in our daily walk. In the war in Iraq, before we deployed and throughout the tour while we were there, and I know that every service member who has deployed, Daryl most recently coming back from a deployment, all our guys were instructed and were held to the rules of engagement. In other words, the rules of engagement was how you would use your weapon basically as a last resort. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? You're sending fellas off to war and you're saying, now here's your rules. The last thing you want to do is use your weapon. And they're all thinking, this is nuts, you know. Rules of engagement. There were rules to follow when it came to a potential threat while you were in that country. Realistically, those rules of engagement would often mean our soldiers were at an extreme disadvantage. That's just the facts. You see, they had to wait oftentimes until they were in a compromised situation before they could defend themselves. And I want you to know that spiritually speaking, there are no such rules of engagement. 
When it comes to the enemy of God's people, the enemy of God, you don't wait until you are compromised to fight the enemy. You hit him and you hit him hard as soon as you suspect that he's looking at you sideways. There is no waiting to be under the gun before you draw yours. This is a spiritual battle. But sometimes you're going to be confronted by the enemy. The threat is going to appear suddenly and without warning and or, or maybe the evil threatens to overtake some loved ones in your life or move in on your home or move in on your family, your church, and there'll be no avoiding it. You're going to have to confront it. You're going to have to go towards it. And that's exactly where David finds himself in this story. As we look at verse number 1 today, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battles in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. If you haven't got that memorized, that translates into nine feet nine inches tall. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That translates into heavy. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Now, what they should have done right then and there was Jonathan, who was great with a bow and arrow, should have just drew up an arrow back and hit him right there. That could have ended that whole mess. But they didn't, and God had a plan. And God was bringing to pass something great that day. I want to interrupt myself by saying this. There are going to be times in your life you're going to face some serious giants that you may never have faced before. And it may be a situation where you think this is never going to end. There's no way out of this that looks like a happy ending. But I promise you, if you're a child of God and you rely on Him, God has a purpose in this battle that you're facing. I want to tell you, it takes courage to confront evil. Especially when the evil is so big and so universally accepted as, well, that's just the way it is these days. Now I'm going to skip a little bit of the reading in the chapter and tell you that that's exactly how the army of Israel was looking at it. That's exactly how David's older brothers were looking at it. They're like, that's just the way it is. What are you going to do with this guy named Goliath? He's too big. We can't handle this. And they're all just stuck because the problem is too big for them. But here we see how one young man refuses to buy into this thing of surrender. And David asked the question, on down here in the uh, chapter, and, and we're familiar with it. Is there not a cause? David understands that there's something bigger here than my safety or your safety. There's something bigger here than my reputation and my pride, my ego. There's a greater cause. If I can return to those service members 
who we remember on Memorial Day for just a moment, how many of them do you think felt that same conviction when they boarded a ship to Europe so many decades ago? Or they walked on the on-ramp of a C-130 getting ready to fly to Afghanistan. How many of them said something similar to their buddies who were scared as they themselves led a patrol through the jungles of Vietnam or climbed those rocky islands in the Pacific many years ago? David stood there that day in a place where no other was willing to stand. Boy, aren't you glad that there are people in your life that have stood in places where you might not could even have stood yourself, but there they stood in defense of you. He faced an enemy that outmatched him in every way except one, faith. And I tell you this morning, that's the only thing you need when it comes to facing a giant in your life. But let me ask you a question, and I'm going to tell you what I'm preaching on this morning. David and Goliath and all that. You ever wondered why all those warriors refused to fight Goliath? I mean, let's just do a little analysis here. I know it's the army of Israel, and I know not everybody's as gifted as other people. That's true anywhere, but there had to be some pretty awesome guys in that army. I mean, when David later on gets his mighty men together, they came out of the same rank and file as the men standing there that day. Where were the mighty men of that day? You say, well, obviously, preacher, I mean, they were scared. Saul was a great warrior. He would go on to be a great warrior after this, but for some reason he was not going down to face Goliath. Jonathan was a great warrior. None were as gifted as Jonathan in the weapons that he used, and yet Jonathan did not go down to face Goliath. What was the reason for all of that? Obviously he was big, nine feet tall. I imagine he had to weigh between three and 400 pounds. I mean, anybody in their right mind. But you know, Saul was no mama's boy. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was a big man. Why was it that no one would face Goliath? Obvious answers are maybe numerous. There was a lack of faith. People were allowing fear to overtake their faith. That's a good answer, and that happens in our lives today if we're not careful. Fear dictates our response to problems and to situations. And rather than trusting God, we just kind of pull back and hope somebody else will take care of our problem for us. Maybe it was too much pressure. That one-on-one -on -one thing with everybody watching. I got to admit, that's a big pressure thing. I was watching Benjamin at the picnic yesterday. We went out there and he's been fishing with Josiah. He's been teaching him to bass fish. All I know about fishing is take me to a place where when I throw the worm in, the fish bite right away. That's my kind of fishing. But there was Benjamin. We first went out there and he's taking his rod and he's throwing that lure out there I mean he was casting it probably 20 feet out straight in front of him reeling it in doing it all himself and I'm just standing there but then more people started coming around and they start getting closer all of a sudden I noticed he would go to cast and his lure would go this way over the top of brother Eddie's line so what is going on and I think it was all about the pressure that, that pressure can affect our thinking we love God we believe God we know God's able but we feel pressure in our life and we kind of get weak in the knees. I want to offer you an answer that I think is definitive and probably encompasses any other answer you can give as to why some of these great warriors did not go down and face Goliath that day. These men of Israel, including Saul and Jonathan and David's older brothers, I believe they wouldn't fight Goliath because somehow they had been convinced that they had to fight fair. Now, I want to give you a thought this morning. 
no one was going to beat Goliath in a fair fight. Let's just be honest about it. He's the champion of Gath. He's the biggest man out there. Saul says to David later on, you're just a youth. This man's been a warrior since he was a youth. None of them would go fight him. And I believe, I've had this thought in my heart for over a year. I used this as a little simple devotion on a radio broadcast one morning, probably over a year ago, and it has stuck with me ever since. And I've always wanted to come back and visit it. And the Lord has given me liberty to do so today. I believe they thought somebody had them convinced that if they went down there, they had to fight fair. I want to tell you something, friends. You're never going to defeat the Goliaths of your life fighting fair. And by the way, where did this concept of a fair fight come from anyway? There's no reality to this. Fair fights are for boxing matches. We all know a real fight never looks like it does on TV or in the movies. It never does. Real fights are dirty and raw. And when it's a matter of life and death, friends, there are no rules to that. I want to tell you this morning that every spiritual battle you fight is a matter of life and death because whether you're fighting sin yourself or you're helping someone else fight it, the truth remains, the wages of sin is death. And every time sin takes control in our life, we pay in some way by something dying. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Fighting fair is not an option because we face an enemy who shows no mercy who has no other rules but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his methodology. And it's just like going to Afghanistan today and trying to fight terrorist organizations. They have no rules of engagement. There is no front line. There is no gentlemanship in war. They're going to cut your throat, chop your head off, disembowel you every chance they get. And if you think you can be polite when you face them, friend, you're going to die. Somebody had these fellows convinced that they had to fight Goliath fair. David didn't believe that. Oh, my. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Goliath represents the toughest enemies that you face in your life. Let me show it to you. You see, he's a type. He's a representation of, number one, anything that brings shame or fear to your heart. Verse 26 David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? you know what was happening that day? Saul and Jonathan and the rest of them were all ashamed of themselves. And they were more ashamed when David showed up and said, Why aren't y'all doing anything? You know what you do. You know how you react when, you get, when you're ashamed and someone calls you on it? You get mad. Ego gets in the way. Who do you think you are? You don't even know what you're talking about. You've never had to deal with what, I've had, what we've had. You just came from the, the, the sheep farm, think you know everything. We've been out here all this time. They're just trying to defend themselves, and the more they talk, the deeper the whole got. Goliath represents anything in your life that is bringing shame to your heart or that's causing you to fear. Goliath represents anything that stands against the cause that God has given you to stand for. In verse number 29, it says, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? 
You see, everybody in that army knew that there was a cause. God had brought them out of Egypt all those years before and had given them a country and a land and had given them a purpose and they were to live that and they were to, to defy the wickedness and represent the holiness of God. And there they stood, cowardly before this Philistine. He represents anything that stands between what God has called you to stand for. What's blocking the will of God in your life right now? What is it that's keeping you from just letting go of your own personal interests, desires, and plans and just following God because that's a Goliath in your life? And you'll never fight that fair and win. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm telling you this morning that we American Christians are so naive, so spiritually anemic that we don't see the threats that swirl around us day in and day out. When you turn on your TV, you could very well be inviting a wicked influence into your home. Sometimes in something that might seem innocent. And we have to be careful about that. We have to be prayerful about that. I'm not preaching against having a television or, or watching it. But we have to be careful about what we invite into our home. When you walk in your front door in the evening with a carnal, bitter attitude, you may not realize this, but you may well be followed through the door by evil spirits that can have great influence in your home. You say, ah, preacher, it's just bad attitudes. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that there are demonic spirits, wicked spirits, and they're always looking for a foothold to get in. That is why Paul said, give no place to the devil. David was a spiritual street fighter. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but after this morning, every time you read the battle of David and Goliath, I hope you'll remember. It's time for us to be aware and to learn how not to fight fair when we're fighting the devil, the world, and sin. David could never have stood against Goliath in a fair fight. You know, in verse 33, Saul said that to him. He said, David, you're, you're just a boy. I mean, there's no way you can go face Goliath. This guy is a giant man who's fought battles since he was your age or younger. You can't do this. But I want to show you four principles that David had going for him. Four principles of fighting to survive that we need to apply to our life when we're facing life. Are you ready? I'm going to give them to you quickly. We'll be done. Number one, notice that in David's way of fighting wasn't fair. But notice that if we're going to fight and win, we've got to be vigilant, always watching out for trouble. In verse 32, it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine. You can't handle it. You can't do it. And look at David's testimony. Verse 34, You don't understand. When I was keeping my father's sheep, there came a lion and a bear to take one from the flock and he said, I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Let me tell you something. David was a bad man, wasn't he? A pretty bad guy, even at a young age. He not only had the lion on the run, but according to that, the lion stopped and turned around and tried one more time to get a swipe in. And David took a hold of his beard and just finished him off right there. 
And David said, this Philistine will be no different. The same God that was with me there is with me now. You see, David had always been vigilant. He was watching out for the danger, the trouble that was popping up all around him because he understood responsibility, number one. He had been put in charge of those sheep. You have been put in charge of some things in your life. You may have a family that you're in charge of. You may have a calling, Noah, that you're in charge of now. You can't take that lightly. You may have a Sunday school class that you're to get up and teach in every week. God has entrusted you with responsibility, and you've got to be aware of the dangers that lurk all around you. David was vigilant, and people who fight and fight well and survive fights are always vigilant warriors. They're always watching. During those patrols in the jungles of Vietnam, or even those route clearance missions on the streets of Iraq, soldiers had to always be alert and watchful for the dangers that lingered all around them. David was this way. His experiences had taught him about real danger in the real world. And as a result of that, he's willing to confront Goliath. He's, he's willing, he's ready to do his part, and he's believing that God will give him victory again. Christians, you've got to be vigilant in this life, in this spiritual walk. You can't walk through this thing half awake. Time and time again, the Bible calls us to an alertness. And none less than Peter when he said uh, that we're to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. David didn't wait until the day he encountered trouble to decide how he was going to handle it. You know, one of the things that is so important to surviving in this world, especially when you go into potentially dangerous places, is you've got to think ahead. People that just walk blindly into stuff are the ones that get shot. No awareness. That's how you get killed. And I'll tell you, a lot of Christians live that way. They just get up in the morning and go flopping about through their day, had no time of preparing, no time of thinking ahead with the Lord. God, you alone know what this day holds for us. You know what we're going to face. I don't have all the answers, but Lord, I know that you can lead me every step of the way. God, give me power today. Help me to be wise. Lord, when I start to mess up, help me to realize I'm doing wrong and help me to get it right. And we just go through our day and we keep getting knocked down and we wonder, why do I have no victory? Be vigilant. Be vigilant. When you're alone and the TV offers some experiences of immorality, what are you going to do? You better think about that now. When that guy at work or at that store that you shop at frequently flashes that smile, ladies, and begins to compliment how you look, how are you going to handle that? Sir, when your wife is hurting and your children need you to spend time with them, but the weather's just perfect for your favorite hobby, how do you handle that? Be vigilant. Watch for trouble, have a plan, choose the right thing. Number two, David was versatile. He didn't fight fair. Let me show you what I mean. Make a weapon out of whatever you have. Why well, you want to talk about real self-defense, that's the first thing they teach you. I don't care what it is, get something and make a weapon out of it. And David shows us this. In verse 38, the Bible says, Saul armed David with his armor and put on him a helmet of brass and armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and essayed to go. He tried. He put it on and he, he tested it out and he shook it out to see how it would work. Saul meant well, but like so many believers today, he's defaulting back to the same old, same old way of facing the enemy. Saul's like the man or the woman that's caught up in religion. 
But see, David has not forgotten what it means to fight in the strength of the Lord. I believe a lot of folks in church today have forgotten what it is to fight in the strength of the Lord. They fall back to, well, I'm going to church Sunday, that'll help. Man, surely the preacher will have a message that will give me something on Sunday. Well, I hope the preacher does. But God had something for you yesterday. David tries on these things and he tries them out. I, I can see him swinging the sword, you know. He, he tries to run up, you know, a little bit down the hall and come back in it and jumps around in it, you know, because David's a, he's a, he's a wild man, you know. He don't, you know, he don't sit behind a desk all day. He's moving. And he's feeling like, this stuff is constraining me. I, I can't use this stuff. And he tells that to Saul. He says, I've, I've not proved this stuff. There's no way I can go out and fight in this stuff. And David begins to take all that heavy stuff off, drops it. And, and what does it say to us? Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. David said, I don't know about all this other stuff. But I do know this. This staff, this sling, by the way, this bag with my script in it, I know God has used that stuff in the past. I know how to fling some stones. and I know how to use this staff. And I know how to rely on God. And I'll just take this and I'll go take care of business. David was versatile. He's going to do battle with what he knows, not what somebody else knows. I want to tell you something, friend. You'll never defeat Goliath in your life because of what the preacher knows or because of what your grandmother knew. They may have fought battles of their own, but you're going to have to fight some that nobody else can stand there with you. You're going to be in those places sometimes, and you're going to need what God has given you to face and stand in those battles. So be versatile. You can apply what God is giving you. He may give me a sword. He may give you a sling. He may give you a bow. He may give me a dagger. But whatever God gives you, use that in the battle. Because when a real fight breaks out, guess what? I'm not interested in making sure that my weapon is equal to my opponent's weapon. In fact, I would prefer to have one bigger, faster, more powerful. I want at my disposal whatever it takes to win. Friends, Chuck Norris... Tell you something, he can do one of them jumping, spinning, back kicks, knock your head off. The problem is in real life, the enemy's not standing there waiting for your foot to hit him in the head. It never looks like that in real life. Ephesians 6, 11, Paul said, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the tricks, the ambushes of the devil. The devil's never going to walk right out to you and declare himself and say, Hey, buddy, I just want to warn you. When you walk through that door today, this is what I got lined up for you. But can I let you in on a secret? You might as well expect when you walk through that door today, he's got it lined up for you. And he knows the things that you're weak in. There's things the devil could put in my path that would be a waste of his time, and I'd never even pay attention to him. But he knows what will get my attention. So I better go ahead and accept that I'm going to face it, and I better be ready with whatever weapon God's given me to contend with that. The devil doesn't care one bit that you're in church this morning. That in and of itself matters not to him. It matters as much to him as it mattered to Goliath when he stood in that valley and saw that entire Israeli army up on the hill. He wasn't impressed. And the devil's not impressed 
by the fact that you're sitting in the pew this morning. But I'll tell you what got the devil's attention and what will always get your enemy's attention. It's the man or the woman that knelt on their knees this morning before church and called on God and begged the Lord to do something in their heart today. It's the Sunday school teacher, the choir member, the usher, the greeter, the church member that said, Lord, use us today and fill us today and give us some wisdom and power to serve you. Those are the ones that are making a difference. Those are the ones that, well, I wouldn't say that he's afraid of any of us. I would almost probably be safe to say the devil probably doesn't even know who I am. Let me give you a third thing. I'm taking too long. Number three, let me tell you about not fighting fair. Be valiant. you got to fight from the heart first. Verse 45, David said, David, to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. The greatest advantage that David had, and it stems from his faith, was that he had a reason to fight that was far superior to Goliath's. Goliath fought for pride, for dominance, for his own reputation. David fought for love of God, love of family, love of his nation. So many sit on the sidelines, spiritually speaking, and never get in the fight because they're spiritually clueless as to what's going on. There are men who strap on a badge and a gun every day. And they'll go out into the dangerous world and they'll face physical dangers on the streets of America and yet they never have the courage to speak to their own children about the dangers of sin. There are soldiers, a lot of them, that I knew who would put on their body armor and go out into dangerous places. They'd come in and go out day after day on missions. They'd endure the heat, the fatigue, put their health and life on the line. But they didn't have the courage to talk to their wives about their failing marriage or to go seek counseling to help stop the bleeding of their soul. You see, that takes something else. And we honor men and women for that outward courage, that outward willingness to serve, but you can give all that for the job, for the career, for the recognition, for your honor, your testimony, while your family falls apart around you while your own soul bleeds and dies on the inside. This takes courage to, do the, to address those things. You remember David's words in verse 26 and 32? You see, David had confidence not in himself, but he was confident in God. He was humble enough to rely on God and brave enough to put himself on the line for his countrymen and his brothers. David was no coward. And he heard the insults of Goliath in verse 43 and 44. Goliath said, I called for a man and you sent a dog. You know, David didn't get all upset about it. David didn't kick sand around and go into a whiny mode and walk home because somebody didn't respect him. How many people have got out of the will of God because they didn't respect me? They don't respect me down there. David wasn't intimidated. Why? What was it that David had? He says it in his testimony to Goliath. He knew the battle was the Lord's. And I believe that while David knew his own limitations, remember Saul's armor? I don't, I don't know how to use this stuff. David knew that God had no limitations at all. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've looked at a situation for our family where there was really no way out. I could not make happen what needed to happen. You know, it's in those times that you might faintly hear the mocking of the enemy. You're a fool. 
you did this on faith, huh? Now look. Now what's going to happen? That wasn't so smart after all, huh? You're going to look like a fake. Such an idiot when all this falls apart. But I remind you this morning of what E.M. Bounds said. Only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer can move God. And in a lot of those times, I can remember just getting on our knees and saying, Lord, we can't. You have to. And seeing those mountains crumble in our life. Are you in a fight today? Well, you've got to recognize the battle's the Lord's. And you can turn it over to him. You might say, well, the preacher, preacher, the truth is, I sort of picked this fight myself. I kind of went up, took a big stick, and whacked the hornet's nest, and now I'm paying for it. It really isn't God's battle like, you know, David was fighting in, preacher. This is kind of my mess. I'm, I'm the cause of it. Okay. Well, maybe you started this trouble in your life. But it doesn't change how God feels about you. And I ask you this morning, would you be willing to ask the Lord to step in? Would you invite God into this battle that you're dealing with? Because I give you a great prayer example this morning from this great giant killer that we're reading about who found himself in a mess of trouble of his own making sometime later. But he prayed this prayer in Psalm 86. He said, Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. God cares about what you're facing. If the battle is all yours right now, then turn that battle over to God before you leave this place today. How do you not fight fair? Well, fight with vigilance, be versatile, be valiant, and then I close with this, be violent. Say, preacher, that don't sound much like a Christian message. Oh, it is. If you're going to win a fight, you've got to be relentless and ruthless. That's the only way to fight. I recently heard a former Special Forces soldier who was being interviewed, and he was talking about whatever program that he has now. I don't remember what it was, but he said, he told the guy interviewing him, he said, I will walk away from just about any fight. Wherever it is, whoever's trying to start it. I, I mean, this guy's Green Beret, Special Forces, Army, Hua Hua, and all that kind of stuff. He said, I'll walk away from any fight anywhere, anytime, that, if I can. And don't bother me to walk away. He said, but if it starts, there are no rules. And I'm going to make sure that I'm the one that walks away. I'm going to tell you something, I like that philosophy. I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. The Bible says I'm not to be a striker. I don't have a violent tendency in me. I like to watch John Wayne. I like to watch Rocky. But for many, many years, I've held to this philosophy. If I ever have to fight, number one, like David, I'm going to have a reason to be in it, and that's going to give me an advantage. And number two, I don't believe in rules. I'll fight like a girl <laughs> with the best of them. My point is, be violent. I got to close. I got to close. It came to pass when the, verse 48, it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. I love the image of that. 
David didn't stand there undecisive. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He took off right at him. And David put his hand in his bag, took thence a stone, slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon the face of the earth. David was violent in this battle. Goliath standing there with his sword and his spear and a dude in front of him with a shield saying, yeah, bring it on, little man. This won't take long. <laughs> David wasn't no fool. He didn't get close enough for Goliath to put a hand on him. He used what God had given him and he showed the devil how to use it too. Amen. I mentioned earlier that Memorial Day began as a remembrance of fallen Confederate and Union soldiers from the Civil War. You know, 1861 to 1865 was a very desperate and bloody and costly period in American history. For most of the first half of the war, the Union Army and President Lincoln couldn't figure out what to do. They didn't know how to defeat the Confederacy. They were led by such intelligent and gifted men like Robert E. Lee. Union general after union general would be sent to lead and they'd soon be recalled in defeat and shame until finally Lincoln found a general who Lincoln himself said, I've found one who knows how to fight. And Ulysses Grant took over command of the Union Army and the rest is history. How did he do it? By sheer overwhelming and relentless assault. Grant had the men, he had the bodies, the bullets, he had the logistical and he just threw everything he had without stopping until he won. It was Grant who famously said, the art of war is simple enough. Find out where your enemy is, get at him as soon as you can, strike him as hard as you can, and keep moving on. He must have read David and Goliath. We see how David fought on that field of battle that day, and I think you learned some valuable lessons about how to win. David ran to the fight, verse 48 says. You know Satan expects you to be timid and weak. He does. He expects you to be afraid. He expects you to cower down. He expects you to surrender every time temptation comes your way. That's what he expects out of you. David didn't wait. He took the fight to the enemy. Most men are pretty timid, but you don't have to be. I noticed this, verse 49, David aimed for the head. He didn't try to shoot him in the knee. Oh, I'll just wound him. David said, no, I'm going to kill him. One shot, one kill. Boom. He went straight for the head. What a cheap shot. He wasn't man enough to duke it out with him. No, he's smart enough not to fool around. That giant needed to fall. And that's the way it is in our life. You mess around and monkey around with sin, temptation, and big old mountains of discouragement, and children going astray, and marriages crumbling around. You mess around with it and you're going to pay. You better get busy, confront it, go after it, Hit it in the head. And then David finished the fight. Verse 50 and 51. I'm done. I really am. I'm trying so hard. He prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Well, why did he need a sword? Battle's over. Verse 51. Therefore David ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Preacher, why did he cut David, uh, Goliath's head off? It told you. Everybody else was still standing there in shock. David said, let me let, me let them in on what just happened. And they took off, man. The whole army. 
I'd have probably ran too. You know, it's interesting. David got some trophies that day. Nah, he didn't keep the head. The Bible says in verse 54, he took the head back to Jerusalem. He said, here you go. That's what I was talking about right there. But the Bible says he took Goliath's armor and weapons, put those in his tent. I don't know if David was still using the same sling that he killed the bear with. It could be David had the bear skin as a rug on his tent floor. He might have had the jawbone of the lion hanging up on his wall. Some of y'all got Bambi. And now he had a special place to hang that armor. And every day, David could wake up and look at those trophies and say the battle's the Lord's. God did that. I just got to be a little part of it. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. What a blessing. Friends, I want to say to you this morning, Goliath has always and will always represent those giants that threaten our peace, our peace of mind, our spiritual growth. And they come at us daily. But be encouraged today, though the fight is intimidating. When he's nine foot nine, who wouldn't be scared? Though the battle can feel lonely, because no one else could stand where David stood, and sometimes you have to stand alone. Psalm 91 is, a, is, a, is known in the military as the warrior psalm. You know Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Jimmy Stewart had that psalm taped to the cockpit, inside the cockpit of his bomber as he flew combat missions in World War II. It's always been known as the warrior psalm, but I thank God for Psalm 27. I believe it's a prayer of rejoicing when you're coming out of the fight. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Ah, oh, if that's the passion of our heart this morning.